from Studio B in Athens, Ohio, you're listening to Sports Beat on WOUB 1340 with Luke Steinert and Claire Geary. Now, here's your host, Luke. After a little bit of a hiatus since basically uh, finals week last year, last year, Luke Steiner, the host of the 2019 season of Sports Beat. I'm going to start calling it a season. It technically isn't, but, you know, I can do what I want if I'm the host, I think. Do you agree, Claire? I agree. Producer Claire Geary behind the glass with me in this Studio B at WOB 1340 AM for the first show of Sports Beat in the 2019 school year. As this school year, Claire and I have a joint goal, just making sure that anyone listening, whether it's in the podcast or live here on WOB 1340 AM, that you are informed about area sports, high school, and fandoms of these area people because most likely we're in southeastern Ohio, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh for some is probably what those fans are. You're exactly right, Luke. And I mean, like, being from Athens, Ohio, you have a big mix, and it's just a pool of all of these different cultures and different kinds of human beings, especially when it comes to sports. It's something everybody takes to heart. So hitting those little niche genres of women's sports and then local high schools, it's kind of touching everyone's personal point of views and giving you the best background that we possibly can. Sports Beat starting at 6 p.m. today, but we will be starting at 7 p.m. for the rest of the year, just a couple of technical difficulties that we weren't aware of before this first show we decided to go first show at six and every other show will now be at seven and i'd like to introduce a couple of guests i have in the studio with me alongside with claire paul roth how's it going man that uh knows a lot of football whether it's uh browns football trimble football area football what do you you work for Gridiron Glory this year. Are you a reporter now? Because I know you were a producer last year. Yes, sir. So uh, last year I was the associate producer on Gridiron, and this year I'm the MVL lead reporter, actually. Cool. So, and then next to him, to my right, to Claire's left, the man you might have heard a little bit earlier in the intro, uh, his name's Connor Mills. He's got the best voice in Athens, Ohio, in my opinion. Obviously, that's an opinion, but I think many people would agree with me. I appreciate it. You know, always we'll take the compliment. You know, always good to be here. Back in studio, back in Studio B, AM 1340. And I miss this place. You know, it's been a long time coming, and finally back on air. Finally back in Athens. That's the biggest thing. I know all of us really wanted to be back in Athens from the summer. All of us did a bunch of different things during the summer. I know Connor was in – you were actually in Athens. You interned with the Copperheads this summer. Paul was in Columbus. Claire, did you – you were with the Lake Erie Crushers in Cleveland. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was in West Virginia. So I was actually the furthest away from home. Ah, that's false. Connor's from New Jersey. Yeah, it's been like <laughs> a eight-hour drive, about 400-plus miles. Uh, I was actually in Beckley, West Virginia with the West Virginia Miners, which basically what Connor and I did is summer collegiate baseball. And for those that may not know, it's basically travel ball for college kids. It's, everyone's always like, oh, what do they play? Who is it? I literally just say it's travel ball for college kids, and they Pretty understand much. it. It's a good way of explaining it, especially because like what Connor does here, most of the players on that Copperheads roster are OU baseball players, are Ohio baseball players. Yeah, we had uh, four guys on the team, uh, Sebastian Fabic, Braxton Kelly, Colin Sells, and Zion Avery. Uh, all good guys. Uh, got to know them over the summer. Good Ohio guys. And we also had a couple guys from uh, across Ohio, Youngstown State, uh, Shawnee State, you know, a lot of talented baseball players. Unfortunately, Copperheads missed the postseason this year. 
uh, first year in a while. But, you know, success is still there. A new coach, uh, new management, uh, new president, Bill LaRue, taking over. So it was a fun year. Uh, didn't make it to the postseason, but a lot of success coming out of this season. So actually, like Connor said, Braxton Kelly, who plays here at Ohio, he's a pitcher, right? I'm not 100% sure yep. on that. Two of his friends from high school played for my team. There's Chance Cornette and Dalton Cornette. Obviously, I'm really going to doubt that they're listening to this. But they attend Alice Lloyd College, which is a small Christian school in Kentucky. They went to the same high school as Braxton. That's the thing that you find in summer ball. I mean, you find in summer ball, people know each other from high school, from if they transferred to schools. It's Summer ball is one of the most unique experiences that you could ever be in if you're part of a team I mean, or what, work for a team. Yeah, one of the other things is, you know, Ohio University sent – you know, baseball players all across the nation. You had a couple baseball players over in the Cape Cod League. Uh, I think Jack Libertor was was out there on the OU team. And then, of course, you had you know Braxton Kelly here. Uh, Sebastian Fabic was with the Cincinnati Steam out of Cincinnati last year and then decided to stay here in Athens this year. You have a lot of people who are a lot of baseball players that are playing as a team for the majority of the year. And then all of a sudden they get split and they're competing against each other. So it, it's an interesting dynamic you know, when it's it comes to summer dynamic. ball, it is. Another weird dynamic is what's happening with Antonio Brown right now, guys. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to start oh something. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to start something on Sportsbeat. We're going <laughs> to, the first part of the show, we're going to have a storyline of the day. And 100% it's Antonio Brown. Storyline of the day. Obviously, football back today, tonight. Who plays tonight? I uh, Chicago play. Bears yeah. and the Green Bay Packers. Bears, Packers. So, rivalry on the first game of the year. But a little more action going on in Oakland with Antonio Brown, who it came out today that Antonio Brown, former Steeler, also played in the MAC, so he spent time here at Peden Stadium with his time in Central Michigan. Got into a little bit of an altercation, a verbal altercation. They make sure to say that there was no physical altercation that happened with the Oakland GM, Mike Mayock. Story behind that before was that he was fined for not showing up to a practice some odd amount of money, something obviously probably a mind-boggling amount for anyone that's listening, but for Antonio Brown, it's like chunk change. For not showing to practice and put it on his Instagram saying that the Raiders were haters. Mayock wanted to talk to him about it. He had probably a few choice words, if I had to guess. But basically, it was like a 25-second conversation saying that he was unhappy with the fine, whatever it may be. He ended the conversation with, punting a football away and saying, find me for that. Well, I think what's so impressive about Antonio Brown and all this situation is that it's it hasn't been one thing. It's been multiple things. It's, it's not it's like, like one thing is carried over. It started with the feet and moved on to the helmet, and now we're <laughs> and now he's, <laughs> for whatever reason, going after his uh, GM. And uh, they said after, too, that he, like, punted a ball, too, or something when he was yeah, talking to Yeah, he ended him. the conversation yeah. with punting a ball. <laughs> And then said, find me for that, yeah. <laughs> I just want to know, did they find him for that? I'm going to guarantee I, that they yeah, did. They I probably figured. did. Well, <laughs> then, and now they're even saying that the intention is to suspend him so that they don't have to pay him and get rid of him. And then Adam they th- sh- Yeah, because yeah. they think in his contract that if he gets suspended for any reason in this, like, 2019 season, mm-hmm. if it's, um, I was reading, if it's, like, a domestic violence or what they're doing, if you're suspended by your own team, you Anything f- that would take him off the field. It would take him off the field, one. And two, the Raiders wouldn't have to pay him $30-plus million guaranteed next season. See, I feel like I feel like that's kind of ridiculous that 
they could just suspend them themselves and not have to pay him? Doesn't that seem kind of like too easy? Well, of if a you cop think out? about it, his contract wasn't through the Raiders. That's true. It's through the Steelers. So yeah. the Raiders are going through a contract that actually wasn't theirs that they negotiated. Yeah. So in a way, they're trying to find a loophole so they don't have to pay this man $30 million for making the roster. Just by coming there and absolutely tearing everything and making up a muck. Just He's the pettiest ridiculous. player in the NFL. I mean, oh, it's Agreed. ridiculous. Yeah, but here's the thing. Can you blame the Raiders for trying to find a loophole out of this? No, oh, I mean, no. not at all. No. He, he just comes on and, all right, you got the, the feet issue. You got the helmet issue, which he took it all the way up to the NFL. And the helmet's supposed to protect you. It's supposed to improve you know, the, the quality of play. It's supposed to protect your head. For those yeah, that you don't the, know, the helmet, he was complaining that he couldn't wear the helmet he wore in, the, in Pittsburgh for three years. He, obviously, he was comfortable with that helmet because it didn't have the most updated safety. He wanted the one that didn't have the most updated safety. How does that make any sense? As a football player, you want to be most safe. You want to be on the field as much as you possibly can. Why would you not want that? Here's my question. Why didn't the Raiders expect something like this before they signed him and tried, you know, mustering that contract loophole? Obviously, he has the history. Why didn't they see that as an obvious red flag? I mean, obviously, he is one of the best players in the NFL, but at the same time, he is one of the pettiest players in the NFL. So would you rather have your team get some bad PR rep? Or would you rather take the wins, but at the same time they're not even putting him on the field is what it looks like they're trying to do. So They had to. They know they figured that realistically, as an NFL GM, I'm going to put myself in the shoes. Obviously, they probably handle a completely different way than I'm about to. You know that he's going to benefit your football team. You think you putting him in your system is going to help him. It's just you think you're thinking that you're going to make him a better player. He's have he just has struggled in that system in Pittsburgh. That could be not at all what it is. Well, I think part of it too is that um, his time in Pittsburgh. A lot of it still people were blaming Big Ben and you know the head coach, you know the front office of Pittsburgh, and uh, not so much seeing as Antonio Brown was the one causing all the commotion. Now that he's been with the Raiders, it's kind of made it so much more obvious that he's the one that's petty. He's the one that's causing all the drama. And, you know, it makes you look back at a lot of things that were happening near the end of his tenure in Pittsburgh and kind of say, oh, um, maybe they had a point with getting rid of this guy. See, but I don't blame the Raiders for going out to try and get Antonio Brown. No, because he's, no, he's a complete no, of course game not. changer. Exactly. Of course. You know, and, and who on the, on the Raiders can you go and say, hey, that's my superstar? You know, Derek Carr is the starting quarterback, and now Gruden's trying to groom Nathan Peterman. You know, I, I don't know who, who their quarterback's going to be. You know, probably going to be Derek Carr. But, you know, Gruden just did not have a superstar on that team. They traded away Khalil Mack, and Mack has become a, See, a that superstar. Was, that was the superstar. That, that was the yeah. superstar. But now, you know, your team was void of one. And to try to draw up some interest in the Raiders, you know, you go out and you get one of the best wide receivers in the league. Just unfortunately, that wide receiver you know, can't contain everything that's going on off the field. On the field, he's a great player. Off the field, it's those distractions that kind of brings him down. At the time, you got to think it's worth the risk. Oh, I, th- I that's think for that's, sure. Yeah. But now, with it's happening with two different teams. Antonio Brown, realistically, might not have a job in a couple of years because of what he's what he's doing. As he's not going to have a job at all. Tommy Garverick. Yes, hello. No, he is not going to have a job, period. Well, I mean, the man has unfollowed the Raiders and Derek Carr on Instagram. I mean, he's literally acting like a 12-year-old. I he mean, is. he's acting like a child. I mean, it's social media. But still, yeah. though, I mean, you're still on it. You're being you're paid millions athlete. of dollars by this team, and you're so upset you're going to unfollow. Like, obviously, it's not, gonna, it's not that big of a deal 
But that's the point. It's not that big of a deal. Why are you doing it then? And the uh, other thing is he's setting an example for all those future NFL players and what teams can and cannot handle realistically. So not only that with his platform on social media, but it's really showing players on how much you can push it and potentially making a bigger scene than what he wants. It's a huge scene. It's Everyone for the Steelers fans figured that, oh, there could be a couple problems leading to all of this. But now happening in two different cities, two different football teams, two different everything, completely different ownerships, it proves that he's the problem. And one problem that the Ohio Bobcats have to face is the Pittsburgh defense next week. Tommy, in week one, Ohio against the FCS Rhode Island Rams, 40-21 to victory. Uh, Nathan Work looked good. Everyone looked good. The running back situation really looked good as that was the biggest thing we looked into at the beginning of this season was who's going to be the starting running back. And after that game, you can see three, Julian Ross, O'Shawn Allison, and Demontre Tuggle. Yeah, I mean, Coach Tim Alvin, offensive coordinator for the Bobcats, he talked about at media day and even just throughout uh, fall camp, just like running back is going to be a position where it takes some time. They're probably going to use all four non-conference games to figure out who's going to be the top two because uh, traditionally this is an offense that is ran by two running backs. And right now the Bobcats are in an interesting situation where there's three. Uh, Demontre Tuggle was absolutely unbelievable. I just did a story on the kid. He didn't even know that Ohio University was a thing until uh, his JUCO head coach called Tim Albin, sent him his tape, and then here he is. He comes here. What does he do? First touch, a touchdown like it's called back. Then he has another explosive touchdown. He scores another one. Like The kid was great. I think he's got a different di- dimension than, than O'Shawn. O'Shawn's kind of the guy that can make those quick, elusive cuts in the open field. You saw that in Rhode Island. Julian Ross, Julian Ross is the most talented back, but unfortunately with health, and he hasn't been able to stay on the field. But it's, it's going to be an interesting situation to – see how it plays out. I'm really curious to see how the running back distribution works in Pittsburgh because you're not going to have as long as a leash as you do against a team like Rhode Island. Pittsburgh, it's still, they're an it's ACC a team. They're, they're a good team. Um, I know that they're maybe not as good as, as, uh, as a Virginia team that Ohio faced last year, but this is still a very good football team, and it's, it's, it's going to be a very, very good game. I think betters agree with it. I looked earlier this, this week. Ohio opened as a six-point dog. They're now a four-point dog. And realistically, you can say those four points are Heinz Field advantage. They, I think Vegas might think this is a toss-up, besides the fact that Pittsburgh plays at Heinz Field. I think that's that shows you how good Ohio has been in the past three years, basically, my whole time here. Nathan Rourke came in his fresh, not freshman year, his first year at Ohio, had to beat, beat Quentin Matswell, did and showed out. Did the second year. Got robbed of Mac Player of the Year. And he's probably going to do the same thing this year as he showed out against Rhode Island. And the last, the two big games last year, Cincinnati and Virginia, Nathan Worth played well. I don't expect anything different. The man shows up in big games. No, absolutely. I mean, if this, if Ohio wants to go on the road against a very good ACC Pittsburgh Panther football team, Nathan Rourke's going to have to be great because this is a this is a group that lacks overall experience. That's what a lot of the coaching staff has said for obvious reasons. No A.J. Oled, no Malik Iron, no Poppy White. The list goes on, right? But Nathan has to be short. He has to be spectacular. He has to be great. He has to do what he did last week. He needs to be com- completing 60, 65% of his passes. He needs to be 
Air Canada on the ground. But he just has to be able to get those guys the ball. There just has to be. I, I've told people it's kind of like this receiving group for Ohio, it just has to be like situational hitting in baseball. Three, four guys just have to make a couple plays a game. You need Jerome Buckner to to have a 20 or 30 yard after the catch play like he did against Rhode Island. You need Isaiah Cox and you need Shane Hooks to make those plays where they just go up and just pick it out of the air. You need the Lorman brothers to come in at tight end and be red zone threats. You just need all these players. You need Cam Odom to catch four or five balls a game as the leader of the group. You need to do your job. You exactly. Don't Bingo. do too much. Exactly. That's that's what this group is. This is still a lot of people question this receiver group. I think this receiver group is actually underrated. But like I said, if those three, four, five guys can just sprinkle in just a little bit, they're going to be just fine on offense all year long. Offense will not be an issue for this team. Not at all. That was We knew that coming in this season, and we knew that coming in last season as well. They lost a lot on the defense last year. They struggled the first couple of games as they gave up, what was it? I think it was three career highs in the first three games. Mm-hmm. This year, defense looks relatively good against Rhode Island. Granted, it is Rhode Island and FCS school. They're better than most teams, than most people are giving them credit for, but it's just they had to play against a Power 5 offense. And when it happened last year, they got scorched against Virginia, and in the second half against Cincinnati, they got scorched. Yeah, this guy named Mike Mike Warren, running back, he's pretty good for the Bearcats. You yeah. know, I mean, dude, he's just a touchdown machine. But I think, like like you said, I think the defense is in a better spot than they were last year. Oh, there were definitely 100%. there were there's definitely still a lot of questions about this group that they still need to answer. Um, I think they did get away with a couple plays early on in the first drive. That first drop, uh, Parker for Rhode Island. I mean, he literally would have walked in the end zone. First drive of the game for Rhode Island. Um, there was a play that Rhode Island's quarterback took a fourth and nine, scrambled for a first down. If you want to be a MAC championship team, can't those are plays that can't happen. But, you know, I think the defense, it was miles better. They didn't allow any big explosive plays. That was kind of That's the theme the of this. That was the theme of this group last year was against Virginia. I mean, they allowed multiple 60, 70, 80 yard touchdown plays in that game, which put them in a hole. Um, so I think this is a defense. They're going to be okay. They're plus one in the turnover margin for now. They get, got a couple sacks against Rhode Island, four tackles for loss. This is a group, I, I think it's, it's a group that has a lot to prove, and they know that, but they are up for the challenge. And D.C. Ron Collins is certainly, uh, he likes where this group is at for now, but he knows that they have to be better. Do you think that this change is a little bit because of the new defensive coordinator with Burrow retiring? I think... Burrow, or do you think it's the same system? No, I mean, it is, it's It's a very similar system. I think Burrow did a fantastic job with this defense in the second half of the year. He really turned them around. They were exponentially better. I mean, if you look at the stats, they only gave up. Um, we were going through their uh, media guide from the from week one, and the defense actually only allowed four, for the whole season in the third quarter only 45 points in 12 games. That is really good. That's so amazing. that tells me that, you know what, they struggled in the first half, but they made those necessary adjustments. Now there was a lot of games where they didn't make the adjustments in time and it cost them. But I think this defense, like I said, they are way ahead of schedule than they were last year. Last year last year they weren't really on point until the last game before the Mid-America exactly. started. No, they are in a much better spot. They are more focused. I think a lot of the defensive guys admitted that they weren't as locked in as they needed to be. But again just briefly talking about Pitt and their offense. I mean, they lost their top two running backs from last year. A.J. Davis has hardly seen any playing time 
uh, before being the starter this year, and Pitt only ran the ball for 78 yards against a very good Virginia team, but that does not, like, for me, that's not something that, if I'm the Bobcats, if I'm watching them, I'm not going to be overly concerned that this Pitt offense is going to be able to do what they want. Kenny Pickett is a solid Power 5 quarterback, but he's nothing special. He's nothing that they can't contain or just make sure that he doesn't make his impact on the game. I mean, he was 21 of 41 last week for 185. Like, that's – I mean, Rourke had 188 with 22 pass attempts. Like, it's all its all about efficiency, and at the end of the day, I just don't think – 55% is not good. No, that's not going to get the job done. And obviously, I think playing against an Ohio Mid-American Conference football team defense is going to help Kenny Pickett, but I don't think it makes a big enough difference that – we're going to see him throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. I would be very surprised if that was the case on Saturday. He's not going to have an amazing game. Right. No. Especially since I think this defense has a completely different, not even like thought, just mentality. They know what they have to do because they saw what happened to them the first four games of the year last year. They know what they have to do this year in the first four games and get even better in MAC play. I agree. No, I mean, if you follow along with Javon Hagan, the Ohio uh, safety he has NFL aspirations. He decided to come back because he had unfinished business with this program. He wants to go out on top. The Bobcats secondary is an underrated group, if we're going to be completely honest here. I mean, you have Javon Higgins. You have Jaron Hampton, who played in every single game last year. You have Marlon Brooks, who was very good last year. And you have Jamal Hudson, who was very good. They don't have a spot in the secondary that they can exploit. It. Like, Jamal... Marlon and Jaron were all getting first-year reps last year. They're not. They're not rookies anymore. They, they are. Might be they are the more, I th- they might be one of the most experienced mm-hmm. groups on the team. Absolutely. Bes- besides the specialists, I think the most experienced is Louis Zervos and Michael Farkas. Exactly. Right. But the defensive backs being most experienced helps you so much, especially with Javon Hagen at safety. He started for four years. He is. He is the leader on that defense. He. He's a captain for a reason. Will Evans, almost Sigma, like those guys get enough pressure that they will get the job done. A quick little side note, Pitt actually lost, it was announced yesterday, defensive tackle Keyshawn Camp lost for the season after injuring his knee in the Virginia game. He's now the second starting defensive tackle for Pitt to go down That's tough. this year. Um, that is tough. And it's a, he's a very, very good football player. I, I was actually I was talking to Tim Alvin. I said that. I was like, hey, I don't know if you know, but uh, Pitt's going to be down their second starting lineman. And he, he just kind of gave me, like, the, the eyes. But, like, no, this doesn't change anything, eyes. But, like, yeah, it changes. <laughs> so I, I definitely think that's going to be something to keep an eye on. I think uh, I think that's big with the running game. Big, absolutely huge for the running game. And it's important that for the younger guys with – with the lack of experience with the tug with Tuggle and Ross and Allison, that those guys will be uh, getting off to a good start. But I think it's very important that this offense, for the first drive to set the tone, runs through Nathan like like it was on Saturday. I mean, Nathan was fantastic on that opening drive. The first play was to him. I mean, that shows how much he is important to the season. They know that Nathan right. Rourke is their star. They know that he deserves what he gets. He deserves all the attention he gets from the defense, and they know that no matter what, he can exploit it. He's good on his feet. He knows how to read defenses. He's probably one of the best mid-American, not mid-American, mid-major quarterbacks in the last decade, if not the best in mid-major football right now. He just knows how to do everything. 
I don't think there's a weakness to his game. His only weakness the last couple of years has been completion percentage. He threw for 73% against Rhode Island. Yeah, that was one of the big things that I talked to him that um, he wanted to get better at. I mean, he improved the completion percentage by, I think it was close to 5 or 6% or something like that. Um, but Nathan, he, he, like you said, he's just a, he's a special talent. Um, for the fans at home who don't know this, he's three touchdowns away from breaking the all-time record at Ohio. Uh, Tyler Tettleton, a football legend here at Ohio, uh, he currently holds that at 82. Nathan's at 80 with a whole season to go. Just kind of shows he'll how be fine. he'll yeah he'll be fine. So he does. That's a storyline that Nathan has a chance to break that. I would assume that he's probably going to get three touchdowns here in the next two I games. Would hope. So unfortunately, he won't be able to break that in front of a Peden crowd. But yeah, I mean, when I I asked uh, Frank Solich about Nathan and just kind of the player he is, and he just talked about how special of a leader he is. Put aside football player, like he knows who Nathan football uh, the football player is, but just Nathan Rourke, the leader. The, uh, the general on the field, like he just knows how to lead a football team. It's why this, this program has been able to continue to climb, and it's why that they are in position to potentially, I know it's only week two, but everyone, the talk in Athens is MAC championship. There's a reason for that, and that's because of the number 12. Final score, what do you think? You know, it's a lot of people are refuse to pick Ohio. I think the Bobcats win this game. I think they finally get the job done. I think this is this is a statement week two game that says, hey, it is time to take the Ohio Bobcats for real this year. They're not messing around. Uh, final score for me, I'm going with 31-24. I think the Bobcats win by a touchdown. I'm thinking 30-27. I think it'll be close. I've been saying for three years, Louis Zervos needs to make a game winner. I really hope it's this week. I really hope it doesn't even come down to a game winner. I hope Ohio dominates Pitt and proves to put Ohio on the map. Once again, Ohio facing off against the Pittsburgh Panthers, 11 a.m. on Saturday in Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. But before that, Trimble Tomcats in Athens this Friday in high school football. This is Sportsbeat on 1340 WLUB. Sportsbeat here on 1340 WLUB. New guest, Sitting across from me, he is pretty important in the gridiron glory uh, sort of thing. He was also pretty important in Hardwood Heroes last fall. In many worlds, he is known as my my apprentice. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of people. <laughs> I, 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 I could hear a lot of people saying that. It's Jacob Murray. Jacob, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. So, Jacob, you're TVC Ohio lead reporter. Correct. You were at the Megs game last mm-hmm. week. Yes. They fell to Gallia Academy 28 to nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of delays in that game, so it really wasn't a good game from the start for either team. But Gallia Academy looked really good, but makes one player that everyone's looked at, Coulter Cleland, this season, Whew. look good. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the problems that you saw, especially in that game, I mean, he didn't have the line uh, to protect him in that one. I mean, Gallia Academy came at him with everything they had, and really uh, he had nowhere to go. He was scrambling around looking for <laughs> really anyone uh, to throw to, but... Um, it was just a tough game for him. I think he'll bounce back, especially once we get into TVC Ohio play coming up. Gallagher County looked like a top 10 team in really Division four, Division 5 as well. Uh, another team that was in action was actually on Saturday. Paul Roth was there. Yes, sir. Trimble took on Nelsonville York and rolled them. Absolutely stomped them. Absolutely. I The domination in that game by that Trimble Tomcats defense 
was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. They told him before the game they were going to do it, and they surely backed it up. I'll tell you, when they were coming out to walk on that field, and they were just walking slowly, they had the bell toll going, you know, you're getting that intensity it was, going. It was in Gloucester. Yes, it was. And and they're coming up, and they're ready to bust through, you know, their their paper wall or whatever, says the Trimble Tomcats, you know, they're getting. you, you think they're going to go running through that? But no. Cam Kittle walks up to that thing, slow as can be, punches a hole through it. They rip through it, throw the tiki torch down at midfield, and just walk through like they don't even care. That's and amazing. That, it was over. It, it it really was over from that point. It I was. Mean, it was thirty-five nothing. Mm-hmm. Trimble's defense was stout like it was last year. They tied a state record that they also have from their finalist year, I believe, in twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. One of those two years. Can't mm-hmm. remember which one. Of eight shutouts in the regular season. They shut out Nelsonville York thirty-five to nothing with the Division One commit in Keegan Wilburn. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, they, and they were saying all game too. At third quarter, they were saying, "Hey, it can't be a shutout unless they get zero points." I mean, they wanted it too. They I mean, they knew they had that game won in the second half, but they they were still ready to go out there and bust somebody every single play to make sure they don't let them score at all. This team really, from what you've said to me, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. This team looks like they could possibly shut out. Eight, nine, ten opponents in the regular season. I certainly believe they could. I certainly believe they could. They should definitely not give up a single point in conference play. I would honestly be shocked if they do. Um, But otherwise, you know, looking at their schedule, there's just a couple games. You know, uh, Worthington Christian maybe. Uh, But honestly, I mean, they, 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 they could very well not give up a single point all regular season, and I wouldn't be shocked by it. That would be absolutely absurd. I don't care what level of football you're oh, playing in. Oh, insane. Anything. There's no reason that in 12 regular season games, you don't give up a point. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at it, it's really because of who they bring back. They brought back everyone on offense, basically, besides Max Hooper and their captain, who I can't think of his name right now, and I'm going to hit myself for it. Alex Coffin, maybe. Uh, that Cam Kittle, Sawyer Coon. No, um, the guy that graduated. Oh, uh, uh, Max Hooper. Oh, no, Lyman. Uh, I want to say his name was Alex. I'm a really, I'm gonna remember it right after the show's over. <laughs> I can guarantee that. But they return Cameron Kittle. They return Connor Wright. They return Sawyer Coons. They return basically their whole defense. They return Todd Fouts. They return Taylor Lackey, a guy who's a freshman that they just put in at points to see if he can get reps at quarterback. They were so good last year that there was points where Tabor Lackey played in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, though, is that all those guys, they were that dominant as juniors, as sophomores, as even freshmen last year. Now they all have a year under their belt. Now they have a, a whole year under that system, a whole year of play, uh, consistent playing time. They can only get better, and, you know, one game in, I surely think they have gotten a lot better. 14-1 and one last year. They fell, no, 13-2 uh, and because they fell to Cincinnati Hills Christian in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. What was it, like 31-30? It was a close one, yeah. I think they lost because they missed an extra point or something along those lines. And then they've lost again in the state finals. Mm -hmm. That's a heck of a year. Yeah. But the biggest thing that they have to face this year, Paul, is they move from Division 7 to Division 6. Yeah. But in Division 6, Division 5 have been some powerhouses. Kirtland's now in Division Mm 5. There's other teams that have moved from Division 6 to Division 5. Trimble still has a chance. I mean, they're incredibly good. I think it's one of those things where, obviously, it's going to be an uphill battle. They're going to be facing tougher teams, bigger schools, being in Division Six. But at the same time, they did move up to Division Six for a reason. They're a little bigger. They are tough, and 
They've they, been good for years. They they rolled through seven. I mean, obviously they lost in the state championship game, but I mean they pretty much rolled through last season up until that point. I don't think it's ridiculous to say they still have a shot this year. Obviously, you know, be a little more t- tentative, you know, saying that they can do it, but I think certainly I'm I'm not I'm not writing them off yet. I would never write off Trimble. No, they and I believe it was my freshman. I can't remember who they played in the first round of the playoffs. They were underdogs by, like, everyone thought that they were going to get blown out. Mm-hmm. Lucas. They went to Lucas and beat the yeah. Blue Devils. Mm-hmm. And then they lost in the next round to, I believe, I don't remember who they lost to. But they knew that they could be better the next year. They were to the state finals the year the next year, which was last year. They lose in the state finals. This year, they have a chance. I think they go undefeated in the regular season. I, think, I so. think they go undefeated to the state finals, and that's where their first real tough opponent's going to be because this team could shut out 10 straight regular season games. Their offense is amazing. They, do they still run the trip? Uh, the, uh, oh, my gosh. Wishbone? Wishbone, yeah, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Still run the wishbone. Phil Ferris is behind that, uh, is, has the headset on, so I think they have any chance in any game against even probably an NFL guy. I mean, that man's been in Trimble for longer. I think we decided last year. It was longer than all of us have been alive. <laughs> Probably. Combined? No, not combined. Yeah, not combined. <laughs> not combined. That'd be oh, impressive. That'd be over 100, 100 years. And... <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd, be, that'd be pretty much. That'd be a lot. But I think he'd been there. I think this might be close to his 30th season at the helm of the Trimble Tomcats. Wow. The dude knows how to coach high school football. Oh, clearly. I mean, and that's one thing that the Athens Bulldogs really don't have. Nathan White's first season, Jacob. They face another test. They fell to Waverly 30-27 to last year, last week. Excuse me. They're up 27-17 at halftime. They have a new quarterback in Joey Moore with the graduation of Clay Davis. What do you think Athens can do? Because they face off against Jackson this week, who faced off against Wellston in the final. Was that the final year of that rivalry? Yes. It was the final yes. year of that rivalry. Yes. Yeah. That's actually a really big thing I right. almost yeah. forgot about. Right. But they defeated Wellston. Now they have to travel to Athens as a new rivalry starts again. Right. I mean, looking. At, I mean, starting off, Joey Moore played pretty well in his first start. I What's mean, his first start. Right. He played very well. He threw the ball very well, which was a bit of a question mark coming into this one. I mean, and running the ball was a little iffy. But look, I talked to Coach White a little earlier today, and he just told me they ran out of gas. I mean, in that game, their conditioning was not where it needed to be. And they just straight up ran That's out of gas. That's always a problem in week one. Right. I mean, and he's preparing the guys for the next week, and he's just taking it one game at a time right now. Um, they are, they're ready to get back out there and get in the win column this time against Jackson, which will be a very tough opponent to do. Um, but, I mean, with the way that Wilson, not that they had any chance to really get in that game and win that game, but Wilson did put up a little bit of a fight, especially uh, pressuring on Eisenhower a little bit in that one. But, um It'll be very interesting to see this game. Two really good teams with playoff aspirations coming up. Just so you guys know, uh, the last four starting quarterbacks of Athens have all lost their first Mm -hmm. game. That also includes a guy named Joe Burrow, Mm -hmm. who is the uh, starting quarterback at LSU. That's my boy. (laughs) uh, I think Joey Moore might have a good uh, couple years in front of him if he goes on that same track. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he can run the ball like – I've heard he can run the ball better than any of them, any of the last four that they've had there. I mean – and if he could throw the ball anywhere near, maybe a Clay Davis or even a Joey Burrow, I mean, they are that offense will be very potent with especially the group of receivers that he has around him. Very, uh, 
senior heavy group around him as well. I mean, it'll it'll be very tough to stop if they can get it rolling. Nathan White, does he still do the offense? Because I knew he was he the does. offensive coordinator. Yes. That's a big thing. Yes. Because he was even the offensive coordinator with Joe Burrow was there. Mm-hmm. And they did a couple of things pretty good on offense, you know, set a lot of records. Uh, Joe Burrow had a couple games he didn't even uh, play more than two drives in. So they were kind of good on the offensive side. Hopefully Athens can do that. And against Jackson, I know Jackson's down from the last couple of years. Obviously, they have to go to Athens. I think that's big, especially – I can't remember what it's called. What their uh, – you would know, Jacob. Mm-hmm. What their pregame is called. Their, like, pregame area in Athens. Oh, gosh. Dog pound? Dog pound, oh, the dog yeah. Pound. The dog pound. There you go. I, Connor's really there good at these one-hitters. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I'll, I'll just chime in whenever I need it. All right, I'll just be sitting off the side here. Dog just pound is going to be big. I think that's a big thing because it's the first game at home for Athens. Right. New head coach, new quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think th- they always come out, right. and they know it's going to be a big game against Jackson. I think that's really going to help them, especially because I rem- uh, I talked with Molly Kennedy, said that Jackson's really sloppy in their first game. Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, like I, earlier, like I said, I mean, their offensive line gave up some some. They did create holes for that running game as they gashed Wellston, but it seemed like, especially pass pass protecting wise, they gave up. Um, a little bit too much uh, pressure on their quarterback. So, and I mean, Wellston isn't as big as Athens is. They got some. They got some big guys on the D line and on the O line as well. So, I mean, if they can't contain that, it might be a, a long day for Eisenhower. But it, Isaiah Butcher's still in Athens. Yes, right? he's still in Athens. I, that's a big boy. He's one of the big guys on that on that D line on that O line too. And uh, th- they will want to create some pressure for him. But I mean, like you said, being at home. It just gives you a certain a boost in energy. And I think that's one thing that they were missing last week against Waverly was that energy to go out there and kind of finish the ball game. I really think if they're back at home like they are this week, they will definitely have a shot to finish this one against Jackson. One more game that we'll put our eyes on. Nelson for York travels to Fort Fry. NY defeated, was defeated by Trimble 35 to nothing. Steuben scored a point. Fort Fry lost in the state championship game last year. Not a good mix. <laughs> Uh, Not a very good mix there. I, mm, I look. Obviously, <laughs> we know <laughs> we know how good Trimble's defense is, but I need to see something from the NY offensive line. They still have Keegan Wilburn. But that's the thing. If you can't block, that means thing. like 11 people are coming for one guy. If you it, can't get him the ball, 11 versus one is not a was, good win. He was getting triple teamed by Trimble. Yeah. Triple teamed. That means eight guys are covering the other ten on the field. They still couldn't move the ball. Do so, have, does Nelsonville have anyone else on offense besides Keegan Wilbur and Mikey Seal? I mean, they they do like to throw it to Brandon Phillips here and there. He's their kind of Brandon Phillips. That's Brandon the, Phillips is the other guy that they like to throw it to as well. But I mean, it's really with this offense. I mean, they do like to get it to Keegan a lot because you know he is that special talent. He's Division one com- right? Commit. And I mean, when you think about it, since his sophomore year till now, I mean, that's when he really broke on was that sophomore year. And as we've gone on to his junior year, he lost a lot of that offensive line that he had. And now to this year, he lost a couple of big pieces on that line as well. So, I mean, it's really tough to replace it when you have big guys up front blocking for you, and then you just kind of lose those pieces as you go on. And it's not a, not a case of he's kind of you know running for his life in a way, but, I mean, they are going to stack the box because they know who he is, and they are going to try and stop him with all they can do. And they realize that if they stack the box, even if they try to pass mm-hmm. – if their line can't hold anybody, you can't you can't throw a pass. Right. I mean, it's it's simple. That's simple football. Right. 
if there is eight people versus five, there should be three people that come from the eight to get that quarterback. Right. And I, and I mean, like, adjustments, I guess they can move, bring some tight ends in and move that in, maybe get more people on that line. But then you don't have the guys on the outside to throw it to if you're Mikey Seal. I mean, it, it's a tough situation right now. I still think NY has enough talent to at least compete in this conference. But, I mean, some of these out-of-conference games that they play are just really tough for them, especially early on in the year. I mean, their first two opponents both made the state finals <laughs> right. last year. That's a that's a heck of a non-conference schedule. Now, but realistically, might put you out of the might put you out of the playoff race if you lose two games early and finish eight and two, and they're in Division Six as well in the same region as Trimble. Now I will say I think NY does have a chance against Fort Fry. I mean, looking at Fort Fry's week one, they beat Belpre thirty-four to twelve. That's handedly, but. They probably also lost some guys. They lost – Four Fry, lost, Belpre lost some guys, but, you know, they still put up a decent fight. I think NY is a better team than them at this point. Um, so I think they could make things interesting against Fort Fry. Um, I think a lot of the issues that I heard on the sideline um, last week against Trimble was there a lot of cramping, um, which is always tough it's early. Always big week. Yeah, always early in the season. Um, so I think I think they can make the game against Fort Fry competitive, but, I, I mean, I certainly – wouldn't throw my hat on the other side, you know? Okay, picks. Jacob gets two. Athens versus Jackson. What do you think, Jacob? I mean, I have not seen – I didn't see Athens week one. I saw Jackson week one, and I honestly saw enough weakness in their offensive line where I think that the Bulldogs could really take advantage up front. I do think Athens could come away with a win in that game. Um, I don't know if you wanted, like, a score prediction or anything. I, I mean, you can give one. I don't care. Oh, boy, I don't know about that, but uh, let's I go. I won't force you. Okay, okay. Well, I'll just say 27-24. Athens wins that one. I think it's going to be very close, and it's going to be very competitive, but I just feel like Athens is a lot bigger up front, and they will force some more problems than uh, Wilson did a week ago. Back to Paul. Mm-hmm. Trimble takes on Belpre. What do you think? 35 nothing. You think it's the exact same score? You Easily. Think, you think? If that, anything, Trimble will score more. Okay. Belpre's not scoring, though. I agree with that. I think put that's the game I'm it. going to. Oh, put your life. Put my life on it. Oh, we're gonna cut that part <laughs> out. <of this>. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little risky. Hey, Paul, we like having you here. We don't want to get rid of you that early. I'm just saying. I, bl- I believe in this Tomcat defense. I think it might be worse than that. I think it's gonna be like 60 to nothing. It, it, there will be a running clock. Oh yeah, yeah. I can guarantee that. <laughs> Belpre. I want to say held Trimble to like 42 points or 45 did, last year. Did you just say held them to? Yeah, <laughs> held them like to. They, they yeah. held them to that low amount of 42 points. <laughs> yeah, it was the lowest amount in conference play. was against Belpre in week two. <laughs> was like 42 or 45 points. <laughs> All right, I'll give them, yeah, I mean. I'm just trying to convince you because I, I know it's going to be a little higher than that because that's the game no, I'm going to. And yeah. <laughs> No, I think they'll score. They'll probably score more than that. But you know, if they start the running clock early, you know, it has to be in the second half. I'm just saying, if they start the running clock right when the second (laughs) half starts, it might be a little tough. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) I do believe that Trimble does not give up a point. I agree with Paul on that. And then back to Jacob Nelsonville versus Fort Fry. Boy, I mean. Do you want to give a pick, Connor? You're over here saying that you're not involved. What do you <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll give a pick. <laughs> Which game do you want to pick the most? Yes, I'll go uh, Athens, Athens-Jackson. What do, you, what do you think Athens-Jackson? I, I think the Ironmen will be able to pull it off in the end. You know, I really like the Athens offense. Joey Moore throwing for 287 yards 
uh, against Waverly. But, you know, I, I want to see him do it. I want to see the Athens uh, team close out a game first mm-hmm. uh, before I, you pick them. You know, the o- the offense fair. is great. The offense from Athens put up 27 points. 27-30 yeah. they fell. Yeah, 27-30. But the defense kind of let it get away. And Schoenmacher from Waverly just ran all over the defense. I just want to see, you know, what, what can they do against an Ironman team that is – it's a good Ironman team. But I just want to see Athens, if they can close it out against Jackson. What's That's why I'm going – I, I mean, want a rebuttal from that. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, the weakness of Athens' team is definitely not their front, the front four on that D-line. It's definitely after that. I mean, the, the secondary did lose a couple pieces, maybe even some of the linebackers, and maybe you can run the ball a little bit on them. I mean, you could see maybe Keegan doing that later in the year. I'm not sure, but I, I, I don't know, man. I think being at home is going to help them a ton closing out games. I mean... They just ran out of gas last week, and I think they're they're more prepared for it than they were a week ago. You have to think Nathan White is still new at being a head coach, and he's still learning kind of on the fly how to do it. And I think he learned from last week that he needs to get more conditioning in there, and I think they will be ready to go at home in the dog pack. Listen, you could be right. I just want to see him do it. Good rebuttal. Cool. Pick for Nelsonville for Fry. I mean, kind of what he was saying about Athens, I need to see NY um, – Put up some kind of points before I can really pick them. I mean, Fort Fry, of course, they're coming off a, a really nice year as well. Um, I don't know. I think Fort Fry will win that game. I think NY will actually score some points, so maybe I'll give them a couple touchdowns, maybe 14, and then... I'm thinking two by Keegan? I, I would think that's who would be scoring them. I don't really know who else, but I mean, I mean, Brandon Phillips could. I mean, Mikey Seal could run one in or throw one in, but I could see Fort Fry taking that one, 27 to 14, something like that. Or maybe even more. Maybe I'll go 34-14. I just don't see NY really putting up a fight against Fort Fry because they are they were very good last year, and I still think they'd be good this year too. Another team that had high expectations last year but couldn't fulfill them, Ohio Volleyball. We'll talk about them after the break. Sportsbeat on 1340 WUB. Back here on Sportsbeat, 1340 WUB AM, as just around – Eight and a half minutes to go in our first episode of the 2019 season. Just to recap a beginning part, Bobcats football take on Pitt this Saturday. Tommy thinks they'll win. I think they win. Oh, they're definitely going to win. Well, I should say they're definitely going to win. It's in their favors, but Nate, it's going to be disappointing not having Nathan Rorick, you know, become the all-time touchdown leader for Ohio, not in Peden, but it'll still be an exciting game. Another team that has been winning for the Bobcats, women's soccer, 4-0. They've defeated Eastern Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, Cleveland State, and Marshall. A team that made the MAC tournament last year, brought back almost everyone that they had on the team. A couple of injuries as well may affect them, but this team looks really good offensively and defensively. They've only given up three goals in four games, and they've scored nine in four. And historically, this team has been doing really well, especially against Marshall when they've lost for the last two years in a row. Going 4-1 and one on the road is especially a crucial win for them. And having freshman Olivia Darrow had her first record career goal just in the 27th minute. And then going into the second half of that game, junior Serena During and then Olivia again both had back-to-back goals within the 63rd minute. So there was a lot of cohesiveness on the team. And it's, it's exciting to see the women's soccer team do well because last year it wasn't as positive of an outlook. So it definitely shows how much they worked over the past Preseason. Same thing with the uh, Ohio field hockey team. 
one thing that Ohio field hockey does every single year is they schedule big-time opponents. They fell against Boston University, who is ranked number 23rd. Kind of give them a little credit there. Ohio ranked in the high 60s when it comes to the field hockey in this season, but fall to Boston University 4-1, to but they defeated Drexel earlier that week to get their first one of the year. They're 1-1 and in Ali Johnstown's second year at the helm. Right, and especially coming from the Ohio's field hockey, I think this was just a game to put them in their place saying there's the potential to be this good. Here's what we're going to work towards, especially taking in their own strides and battles with injuries and not such a hot season last year and trying to make the difference here at home and at Pruitt Field. Going 1-1 one one at the season so far, it's starting off on a good note, and hopefully they continue to do that. And then if we're going to start looking over Ohio volleyball they have a conference uh, they have a um, tournament this weekend in DC you want to talk about that so the Ohio volleyball team had a lot of expectations last year they brought back Jamie Kosorek for a fifth year after an injury they brought back every single starter but they lost in MAC tournament they didn't play well all year long they had a below 500 average in mid-american conference play but this year they're struggling as well they swept against Northeastern. They're one and two. To me, one and three had two very close matches in their first two games. Then fell to number seventeen Purdue at Purdue. Kind of that's an okay loss. Yeah, that's an acceptable loss, especially because the Boilermakers take their sports very seriously. And regardless of where they're playing, they're still going to be a fan base supporting them because of how big that school is. So there's a bigger fan pool to to have out to have people show up and to support the team, so especially being away at a Big Ten school, it wasn't in Ohio's favor last week. Ohio showcases their volleyball skills next week. The last couple of years that I've been here, I know it's been a long time thing, Bobcat Invitational, they bring in two, excuse me, three other teams for a round robin of four teams. This year, it's Ohio, like I said, UConn, College of Charleston, and Virginia. College of Charleston got fourth in the NIT version of the volleyball championship. It's called the NIVC. UConn has two Ohio alums on the coaching staff. Ellen Herman is hands down probably the best outside hitter for Ohio in history is their head coach and their assistant coach is third in sets. Excuse me, third in assists, Abby Gilliland. So a lot of people coming home, a lot of fans are going to be there because they know those two are going to be at, P, at, excuse me, at the convocation center. So Ohio Bobcats have a lot of returning talent on this volleyball team. It's just if they can put the pieces together. They had it last year, couldn't quite do it. Maybe they can fix the puzzle this year. And the thing with these round-robin tournaments here is obviously putting in these high-quality names from Power 5 conferences like UConn and Virginia, and that brings in some attraction as well, in addition to just the fact that having two alum head coach or coaching coaches from the staff and one of those almost being one of the best outside hitters for the school it's obviously going to bring some attraction to this university on top of just having Ohio University having to prove themselves especially after not coming off such of a hot couple last couple games another team that uh, a lot of people are looking forward to are Paul Ross Browns oh quick four minutes on the Browns here who do they play what do you think is going to happen in the first game I'm going first to you Paul we'll go to everyone all right, so they're playing the Tennessee Titans at home. And I will tell you, the Browns have won one, count it, one of their last 20 home openers. One. You think it's going to be two of 21? Two of 21, sir. I think Cleveland is going to be partying, going crazy, because the Browns are winning this game handedly. 
Do we need a score prediction? No, handily is enough for me. Infinity to zero. <laughs> Go ahead and say that's not happening. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jacob Murray next. Cincinnati. What do you think about the Bengals this year? I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not a crazy fan. I'm not going to be like, oh, they're going to make the playoffs. They're that good. Oh, you know. <laughs> that but would be crazy to say. Yeah. I, I honestly think, I mean, this team, a lot of people are saying they're the worst team in the NFL, and I do not see that at all. I, I mean, they're bringing back the same, like, this is the same group they've had for, like, the last, what, six years? where they've Same core group. Yeah. Right. Where they've, well, their highs where they went, like, what, uh, I think they went maybe 11 and 5, 12 and 4, Lost something like that. Lost the Colts in the playoffs. Right. And then, like, their lows were, like, they're 7 and 9 and then, like, 6 and 10 last year. But, like, oh, no, they were 5 and 11 last year. Sorry. But, I mean, their first game's against Seattle. Seattle is always tough. They're in Seattle, which is always terrible to play at. And I, now they have Jadavion Clowney. Right. I, I think they will probably lose that first game, but I, I don't be surprised if they take a couple, I'm not saying in their own division because of how tough it is, but I will not say it's a stretch to say they will be a little bit more competitive than people think they will be this year. That's fair. Mr. Outlier, uh, Connor Mills, <laughs> the New York Jets. Yeah, the Jets. Yeah, the Jets have the Bills. I think the Jets will beat the Bills. Uh, not really sure who the Bills even have on their team anymore. <laughs> it seems like a lot of they got a lot of turnover. Josh Allen, Josh Allen, quarterback. Come on, I thought he was down. Josh Allen's down. Where? Oh, Josh Rosen is down in Miami. Yeah, right. Josh okay, Allen. so Josh Rosen, and then he got Josh Allen. Yeah. Got it. But anyway, the the Jets have finally a, the, a quality running back in Le'Veon Bell. It seems like he's ready to go. He sat out last season. He should be fresh. He's gearing up, ready to go. Uh, we got a new coach, Adam Gase. Gase uh, was a quarterback coach over in Denver for Peyton Manning. Uh, a lot of praise from Peyton Manning about Coach Adam Gase. You know, I, I have high expectations for the first time in a while since Rex Ryan's uh, New York Jets back in 2010-11, uh, sort of that time. Uh, more recently, Adam Gase was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. How did that go, Connor? Uh, I think the Miami Dolphins overperformed <laughs> with the talent that they had okay. because Fair. of Coach Gase's coaching. Claire Quick. 30 seconds, and I'll go last. Okay. Well, I'm picking the Steelers versus the Pats game because go Steeler Nation. Obviously, the Steelers have some holes to fill, but James Conner and a bunch of other running backs that were coming up are going to fill those holes where Le'Veon Bell have, has left, and Antonio Brown had been way out of the picture, especially for those fantasy teams. But especially against the Patriots, they're going to have to prove themselves, even with some of those veteran and rookie combinations. Josh Tomlin really has some – Interesting cards to play from his hand, and it's going to be interesting to see how they go throughout the season. Well, my team uh, lost their quarterback, so I'm just going to go ahead and say <laughs> that the Indianapolis Colts have a little bit of a rough road, but <laughs> I put my faith in Jacoby Brissett. That's what I'm going to end with. I put my faith in Jacoby Brissett. This team is going to be good. This was Sports Beat on WAV. Thanks for listening to Sports Beat on WOUB 1340. You can listen back to the episode at Anchor FM forward slash WOUB Sports Beat, or you can catch the show on Twitter at Sports Beat WOUB.